All right, welcome back to another episode of Fifth Generation Leadership. Today, I've got Peter Rangel, Twitter anon that I ran into, that is a intel officer, a fellow 04 in the Army, uh, but spent most of his time, or maybe all of his time, on the guard side. Mm-hmm. And um, just wanted to talk to him because I see a lot of the stuff that he says. He's got a sweet... Uh, bio picture that's the Norman Rockwell freedom of speech painting, but the dude's wearing kit. It's pretty awesome. And so I, I asked him if he wanted to do a podcast sometime and he, he agreed to come on and chat. So um, with all that said as an introduction, uh, Peter Rangel. Oh, also the cool thing that, you know, that name, uh, that that Russian leader who fought the Bolsheviks and had exfil a bunch of people out of Soviet Russia under the Bolshevik revolution, you know, great counter-revolutionary yep. general. So that's also pretty sweet. So that said as an introduction, um, yeah, please, you know, tell, tell us about yourself a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in a nutshell, that is I, um, I am nearing my 20 years in the South Carolina army national guard. November will be 20 years. And at the same time, they are, uh, medical retiring me or medically boarding me because of, the, the the pictures that I post on on uh, Twitter of of my right shoulder of the artificial shoulder that I now have, which is the fourth surgery I've had in five years. Um, again, don't have a cool story to go with it. Just general age, wear and tear. That's how I got it. Um, yeah, so twenty years of pure military intelligence. Uh, of that, the last thirteen, I have done uh, counterintelligence work. Uh, so either operational or being in you know, uh, investigations doing tarp briefings or threat awareness reporting briefs or some sort of analytical work which is very honestly it's, it's the the i think the most fun and most impactful work that i've done since because you know you you might get one person two people a year or leads a year um but you know you're you you you're protecting the assets and the and the of the the organization, the people of the the of the U.S. Army, and that really means a lot, especially here in the states where it gets a little fuzzy when you can do certain intelligence work because of um, intelligence oversight. You know, one two triple three or EO one two triple three. So, you know, if you're not doing some sort of natural disaster uh, direct support to civilian authorities, you know, uh, counterintelligence work. Um, with that foreign nexus is probably going to be the closest thing that you can actually do when it comes to intel work. So, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, I've operated Middle East, Europe, the Asia Pacific region, um, here in the States. I was, uh, three years as I was on the sea Smurf mission, which was essentially if there's a non nuclear disaster in the lower 48 States, my infantry battalion would respond as a, uh, Force protection for first responders, and yeah, let me see anything else. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, my twenty years. But you know, throw in some education here and there, and yeah, that's me. And currently, I live in rural South Carolina on thirteen acres with my wife, and I love it. And we're just slowly turning this land into a homestead, and with a hopefully functioning shoulder, I can do more and more every day, and. Um, uh, yesterday was a was kind of a small unconscious win. I actually took my right arm, put it above my head, and was able to apply um, 
um, deodorant without me actually thinking about it. So that was actually kind of a win for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if you know, I'm a physical therapist by trade. So, um, yeah, total shoulder replacement is no joke. That is a major surgery. It's it's difficult to get back, mm -hmm. uh, recover function after that. So that that is not lost on me how huge of a win that is to be able to yeah. have full functional range of motion to do something yeah. like put deodorant on without and, without having any sort of twinge of pain to wake you up yeah. and, and make you realize it. Yeah, it really make you feel it. Um, while the VA had, has been great in their ability to marry me up with a with, with um, a great orthopedic, um, they have done poorly in their uh, authorization and reauthorization when it comes to my physical therapy. So technically, uh, even though I had surgery in june on my shoulder and, and did 15 visits per the first authorization after that it took them up until i think this past week to reauthorize me for another set of visits so everything i've done after that 15 after those visits has been on me uh from the the collection of goods that i have from my previous uh, physical therapy and from uh doing my own kind of research uh online so well, if you ever want any feedback or guidance while you're waiting, waiting on the word from those folks, then I'm always, you know, always feel free to reach out. I appreciate um, it. So I, I want to focus in on something that you mentioned that, uh, you know, like you mentioned very cavalierly, EO123. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that's an executive order. What executive order is oh, that? Oh, yes. Significance there. So EO123 uh, was signed by Reagan uh, after like the Warren Commission. So after the, uh, you can say that the uh, dirty deeds of the CIA, the FBI, and certain organizations, um, um, after all that dirty laundry came out and the Warren Commission and these very these various uh, investigations, uh, Reagan came out and said uh, with the EO that um, unless you have a specific, like mandated by Congress specific mission, then you cannot do intelligence activities here in the states. Now, there are classified caveats to that and all that, but and also a part of the EO is uh, the U.S. doesn't. I put this in air quotes, conduct assassinations, uh, conduct assassinations. So, uh, but yeah, so that's what, so EO one, two, triple three is kind of like, you know, uh, what guides the intelligence oversight, you can say of, of uh, intelligence activities with several caveats with them being, with some being ca uh, classified. Yeah. So that they don't conduct assassinations. It's like, well, then what's a joint effects priority list, right? I mean, well, I mean, what's like what we did to Soleimani and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 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 and, you know, and, and half the stuff you did in Afghanistan with targeting and Iraq or whatever. Um, again, that's why there's caveats. Like, it's not why I call it assassinations. And, you know, um, typically, so generally like head of states sometimes. So what the big question that comes to my mind um, from your perspective, mm -hmm. how did the Patriot Act change that? So, you know, I I get the feeling oh, that with um, history, you have this era where Iran-Contra happens and mm -hmm. 
and all these shenanigans and the the public there's there's an outcry over it and so we get some sort of protection in you know one two triple three and then mm-hmm. i would imagine that the patriot act kind of provides ways mm-hmm. to get around that it kind of massaged it so what essentially they say the um the um the patriot did or does is that each um so okay so because of like because of like the warren commission and all these investigations and such it it built these quote unquote walls uh or stovepipes within the intel agency so that if say the nsa has some information fbi has some information the cia the cia has some information there, there was no real way for them to share it crosstalk all that kind of stuff which in my opinion is a little bs because they're just a bunch of fiefdoms and they ain't going to share anything anyway um but uh the patriot act was to break down those walls in order uh, for information to be shared so that um uh people of interests who seem to even to to this day seem to be on people's radar but are not aren't picked up that's anyway that's another story i guess um but yes yeah, so that's essentially what that so that's what part of the patriot act did um in other ways it allowed for the it it um <laughs> it said that as long as the hmm, like the fisa court and such as that it just said that well since the government's doing it and we have a judge who signed off on it it's okay so it's a little it's you know one an executive order one is by the president the patriot act is done by the president and they're a little bit different in that sense, but I mean, you know, executive order doesn't really mean anything in the sense that like it can be overridden by an, another executive order. While at least a pay, like an act, a, 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 uh, an act passed by Congress has to be amended or changed by debated by Congress and, and such. But um, yeah, the I wouldn't really call the Patriot Act as uh, very patriotic these days, in my opinion. So. Yeah, I think that the way that those FISA courts are structured, especially with the politicization mm-hmm. of judges, so like yes. what we're seeing in the current Trump case with mm-hmm. with that judge being nakedly partisan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, you know, the, the dude is clearly partisan. And then mm-hmm. you have this, you have this sort of paradox where the kind of judges that should most be compelled to recuse themselves in these circumstances where they're ideologically biased or have a conflict of interest mm-hmm. are the least likely to recuse themselves. Yes, you know? sure. So it's like somebody yeah. who's got the integrity to recuse themselves, mm-hmm. that that person you actually want, you don't want them to recuse themselves because they have that reflection. Exactly. Trying yeah. to think like about the, their biases and then be the, honest. The leader who stands up versus the leader, like the leader who reluctantly stands up versus the leader who eagerly jumps up. Yeah. So, um, if, yeah, if you have these FISA judges that mm-hmm. are human beings, and mm-hmm. there's not there's not a rigorous oversight process, it's like they sign mm-hmm. off on it, and you can yeah. go three hops deep on surveillance on mm-hmm. you know three hops. That's a lot of hops but, from somebody. Yeah. Well, and again, and and again, what's what's the F stand for in FISA? Foreign, right? Foreign, exactly. 
Yeah. It's, and, got, it's got to yeah, have a foreign nexus, right? Yeah, so, so again, yeah. so again, how how did how did T uh, Tucker Carlson get uh, mixed up with a FISA court? Yeah, yeah, in in Carter Page, right? It's yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah, he had yeah, I'm doing a, the official work for the CIA, which the CIA confirmed, and then we well, have an FBI the attorney that changes that from a yeah, he he did work for them to he didn't, and gets well, a slap get on to, the wrist. Um, then you get into unmasking. So that's, an, so that's another thing about the FISA court and the power of it and such. It's supposed to be very compartmentalized and very isolated. And, you know, there's been, there's been no real study or real, um, I guess, analysis of how extensive the power people have to, say, uh, unmask individuals or to request a, a FISA a subpoena or the process itself so yeah so, yeah like yeah. like again like i i i correct me if i'm wrong but i'm 99 sure we we're not really we're not really sure who unmasked uh michael flynn oh yeah i i have no idea yeah. you know actually i want to this is something that i heard robert barnes say that i wanted to yeah. run by you okay um i mean i didn't think about this in in particular yeah. but now that it pops into my head yeah so he said that Michael Flynn, they they kind of held back and waited for him yes. to mm -hmm. uh, pinpoint all the people that he wanted to work with yeah. in that administration. Mm -hmm. So like people that he trusted that he wanted to yeah. bring in. And then mm -hmm. it's, they dropped the hammer as soon as he identified all those people and then mm -hmm. put 100% yeah. of those people under criminal investigation. Do you know anything so, about that? Is there truth so to that? I, I, don't, I don't know anything about that, but, but this is what I'll say. Okay, so you have... So when it comes to Michael Flynn, it's hard to talk about him because you have what he has become, which is a a broken man, a broken man by the system, um, whom he has given everything he has to it, thinking that he was doing the right thing by doing so, and having everything taken away from him by that system. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So you have that. So you have the man who who he is now. But then you before that you have the I'm about to become the uh, national security. Uh, what was he? The going to be the um, national security advisor. Yeah, national security advisor. So you have that. So you have. So you have. I'm about to become the uh, national security advisor. <clears throat> yeah, you have. I am a broken man because of the way the system treated me. Okay, so if you think of it like that, it's a little bit easier to kind of digest. Um, <clears throat> um, if you look at his career, he has always been kind of a maverick or a cavalier or uh, someone who. You know, as an MI officer, kind of, I can cuss, right? Absolutely. Okay. Um, who actually gave a shit about his career and, and, and about the profession. Um, when he came into the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, did his, you know, 306090 and did some analysis on how things were done. I mean, essentially, what he told the civilian, the civilian workers was like, do your job or you're going to get fired or, you know, I'm, I'm going to find ways to, to, to fire you. Um, and they didn't like it. They pushed back. They, they did everything in their power to get rid of him. Um, eventually he was let go at DIA. <clears throat> um, he becomes the number two, uh, the number one Intel guy in Afghanistan uh, is the only person of worth and of integrity to go on the record with his name to talk about how shitty Afghanistan has become per the Afghanistan papers. The Afghanistan papers originate 
from a discussion held with Michael Flynn. Um, every, uh, everything that we know about it starts with him. Um, and then with him becoming national security advisor, he had a plan to reorganize and to just utterly realign and gut the American intelligence community in order to make it one uh, more efficient, create actionable intelligence, but also protecting the civil liberties of, of Americans. And again, the deep state, the people who worked there for years, whatever you want to call them, didn't like that. The, the alumni didn't like that. The people who 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 have established power from that system didn't like it, and so they sought to destroy him. That is my that that's how I see it. I I I like to do more digging and information on it, but just from what I've kind of read about his career and his progression about, and especially if you read what his enemies say about him, you get that's the impression that you get. I mean, that resonates with me, and I I mean, I also just think that. Uh, it would have been a lot more difficult for them to run the whole Russia collusion thing, which was so dependent upon leveraging consensus among amongst the the intelligence community establishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with him in the mix, and so kneecapping, exactly. yeah, kneecapping yeah, yes. him, him. There wasn't anybody within that establishment that was going to yeah. push back, especially mm-hmm. because, um, like, if if what Robert Barnes had said is what happened where he identified all the people that he trusted mm-hmm. and they put all those people under, yeah. you know, yeah. DOJ criminal investigation mm-hmm. in order yeah. to pressure them to let go of their ambitions. Then mm-hmm. all of your allies are gone. And mm-hmm. now we have this homogenous block where ideologically, these are, these are people that, you know, as, as you noted, are most concerned about maximizing their high three, probably satisfying mm-hmm. their their egos that they're doing important work and that they're on the mm-hmm. right side of history well uh, schumer i mean schumer came out and said that the intelligence community has you know every way to get get you from three ways from sunday or whatever however the expression goes that should send a shiver down the spine of every u.s citizen and it didn't it was just like well it's michael flynn it's donald trump screw them they deserve it nope let the let the ic community go after them and yeah, no, it should it it should have scared the ever living piss out of people, but it didn't because it, yeah. because it, of who because of whom it was directed towards. Yeah, if they can do that to people that are high that high profile, it's like what what hope do I mean? Look what they did with people with have. J six. I mean, look what I mean. Look look what the IC was able to do in relation to J six because of FISA. I mean, because of all the tools that it uses. Not making a comment about J six, but but what they were able to do about it and not only that another aspect about it is the um what's i'm looking for the crowdsourcing the crowdsourcing of of the of of the intelligence community um the gamification of the intelligence community um the uh, collaboration between the commercial and uh federal government when it comes to the intelligence community are all are all very disturbing trends um, that came about um, that re- that kind of started hitting its stride in the Trump years, like Charlottesville and um, uh, and other events, uh, J six. But then it really, it, I mean, it became a thing in uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah, and I 
for a long time. I mean, ever since Edward Snowden came forward and and did that whole thing, and yeah, it's, I've always I've always thought it was kind of weird that you know he couldn't get a pardon or at least official recognition on some level that what he did was uh, uh, defensible once mm-hmm. it was recognized that what he revealed was unconstitutional, which it was. But, the, but the problem is that, I mean, say, okay, say like, I mean, what he revealed, I don't know, 20%, right? And then that 20% was unconstitutional. The other 80% he re- revealed was pretty damaging. And that's why he, he won't, he, he never, he'll never get a, a parole. Yeah, I did. I, I remember talking to a, a guy that, you know, worked in the intelligence community. I was like, yeah, so yeah. what do you think about uh, Edward Snowden? He just goes, I want to eat his skin. And I was like, yeah. oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, like, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, if he, if it was true, if it was truly about getting information out there about uh, illegal um, activities by the U.S. government, I mean, I, 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 you know, I would be very much about bringing, you know, pardoning him, all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't. There was other aspects to what he brought back. He brought out that damaged U.S. security. So, I'm, I'm sorry. There's no pardon for that. Yeah, let let's let's pick on that a little bit. Uh, okay. What's what did he uh, what did he reveal that damaged national security that that you feel was uh, a part um, of the apparatus that was constitutional? So, well, one, one I can't. I mean, like I can't really officially say anything. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Class, no, no, classified. classified. No, but yeah. but no. But like I, I can comment that um, there were people at uh, Redstone uh, Redstone Arsenal, which is like is down in Alabama, and it's the home of. Uh, missile, like the, it's not the home of missiles. Um, I mean, they, they build missiles. It's where like, um, like Alabama is a huge missile, giant missile factory, essentially. Um, but, uh, the day after he immigrated, resident armors, uh, resident arsenal was getting hit by, uh, every, every and all types of, um, uh, you can say like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, uh, denial of service attack, uh, any type of, any type of hack, anything. It was, it was getting hit by anything with origins with, from, uh, Russian or uh, Russian linked organizations. So stuff like that. That's, that's about as close as I can say. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, they, that, I've never uh, heard that perspective from someone mm-hmm. that wasn't kind of a deep state mm-hmm. hack. So that's, mm-hmm. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, yeah, you only you yeah, only hear people yeah. like James Clapper and you know. No, 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 no. I mean, I no, I talk. I mean, because when it happened, I mean, I would talk to people, other people who were in my ranks and who were you know who worked you know low jobs or whatever. I was like, hey, so what is, what do you think of so and so of so and so? I'm an MI officer, so of course that's when you know, especially CI, I'm gonna ask these questions, you know, and they would give me examples, blah blah blah, and 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 so I learned a lot of things, and you know, none of it is going to be this hyperbolic. Oh, the damage to national security, blah 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 blah. Like again, few things. But there were things. There were things. But yeah, there were. But yeah, there were. There were. There were tangible. There were tangible things that occurred that you know that um, uh, directly from his um, release of or his uh, information that he had and he took from the states. Yes. So I think the next natural question is: What about Julian Assange? Uh, I I kind of flip flop back on him a little bit. Um, I guess I find it odd to if to, to be a person who is about exposing secrets yet doesn't like his own secrets to be exposed, which understandable, you know, understandably so. Um, 
Yeah, I think that the uh, underage thing is kind of bullshit. Um, it's, um, I don't know, that's a, that's a very tough one. I kind of go back and forth on that. Um, there, it, uh, in my opinion, it all hinges on this one particular case about um, um, uh, um, I can't remember the details of it right now, but it all hinges on this one particular case where he either just he, he received information or put pressure and requested specific information on this kid. So that's what it boils down to. Was he a party to the taking and, and stealing of class information or was he a recipient of it? And so that's a, that's why that might seem like a fine line. That is a difference between like people like uh, who's uh, the, 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 like the Pentagon Papers, the, the, the Af Afghanistan Papers. They are pure recipients of information. They make no requests. They make no pressure and such. But the question is, did he do that? And so that's where that's, in my opinion, while where he need that's why he needs to stand trial to to see if that like if that's true right and you know so yeah that that's just that's just the case yeah and i, th I think that ha him having a uh i i think he'd be the least in opposition to having an open and transparent trial and I know, that's so you would thing. think you would think so you, you would think that right um and again so like why you know <laughs> you know back in my more neo, neo kind days i hated them you know, I hated, you know, his release. Well, so, okay, so it wasn't, you know, so when they when WikiLeaks released all the information about Afghanistan, the problem was that it wasn't, it was open. Anyone, anyone with a key could get access to it and it wasn't redacted yet. It was a Guardian, um, it was a, gar, a Guardian writer who then went in and took, a, like, started taking information to write, to write reports who didn't redact, redact information, therefore leading to names being released that led straight to people getting murderized in Afghanistan. Um, and, and they tried to pin that on uh, WikiLeaks as a whole and him specifically. Um, but, you know, and also his release of certain films and footage of, you know, of, of um, gunship footage, you know, his, his the way he labeled things, the way he, um, uh, um, he, um, uh, the view he tried to make people have, I, I didn't like him. I, you know, I thought he was a piece of crap. Um, but again, you know, if he was truly, you know, receiving information from, um, like if he was truly a journalist receiving information from whistleblowers, then I mean, he should be protected under, you know, like other journalists. But again, I, I thought he was a piece of crap earlier in my career. No, I appreciate the candor. I the yeah. reason I wanted to pivot and ask about him is because he he had always been uh, very adamant about mm -hmm. vetting things and mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. not releasing things that could be uh, damaging in that way that yeah. perhaps Edward Snowden didn't. And so I yeah. wanted to kind of ask about the contrast. Yeah. If you, uh, I, yeah, I, so I, again, like it goes back to that. It goes back to all the information was stored. Again, not probably the best idea under a key, unredacted that people can get access to. So yeah. So I mm -hmm. I'd recommend, and I'll probably 
you know, I'll, I'll just I'll send this to you and you can check it out okay. if you want. But there's a fellow Substacker that goes by neoliberal feudalism. Okay. That uh, wrote an article about Julian Assange, and I thought it was very mm. informative and kind of showed yeah. the background and of uh, of his strategy and what he was trying to get after. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think it was honestly is pretty pretty brilliant. It gave me a, a, mm-hmm. a much deeper appreciation for what he was doing. There's there was a lot of strategy involved in it, and the idea of how um just the the arguments about how secrecy. Yeah. And government allows for negative things to happen and the inverse exactly, yeah. is providing friction. Yeah. Yeah, and, it does. And making it more difficult. You're you're adding by by having this this outlet, you're you're providing friction to the system of governments where it makes secrecy harder. And the harder mm-hmm. secrecy is for them, the less they have to use it in order to be efficient. Mm-hmm. And so it just applies this applies this strategic pressure hmm. um I, anyway it's very interesting like i won't okay. try to recap all the arguments but no no, no I, yeah, yeah, yeah it sounds good yeah so uh let's pivot into okay. talking bolshevism because this is a you know, obviously <laughs> it's your it's your you know pseudonymous yeah. namesake yeah. and sure. something that's going on in the military re- right now i need to i need to read the book i'm not gonna lie <laughs> Well, no, no. It's I. I just mean generally, you know, talking wokeism, yeah, yeah, yeah. politicization of the military, because yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. um, this is something that I think is having the most dramatic impacts on recruiting mm-hmm. retention. Uh, they're of course denying that, um, mm-hmm. yeah. in, in 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 ways that I think are not not candid, not honest. I I, I think you and I both would agree that you know if if you have recruiting command or any of these folks that are in senior positions that are answering mm-hmm. the general officers, they're not going to be able to come up with reasons for problems that implicate political leadership uh, or, yeah, yeah. or uh, their bosses at, at echelon or, or the, or the, or the system or the system that they are part of. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, how, what, what do we do? And I think one of the, I think you're, you're doing it, you know, by going and, and exercising freedom of speech, yeah. And that's kind of what the whole idea of fifth generation leadership is all about and mm-hmm. why I wanted to talk to you. So, um, yeah, please just share your thoughts on that. Well, so, um, the, um, the, the main, the main reason that we're having hard time, uh, um, recruiting soldiers is because we are the fattest, laziest and dumbest we have ever been our cohort, young cohort, um, that we have ever been in United States history. Um, that's just a fact. Um, uh, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Army had to institute and is now um, implemented nationwide a remedial type of learning program for math and essentially like language arts. And um, they at this, uh, at the same time, what you have is this kind of pushback by um veterans themselves for the last 20 years saying especially you know, the veterans of the gy saying the army will treat you like crap they will um break you they will break your family they will house you in in, in barracks that are trash 
Um, they will do everything in their power to make your life a living hell. And then when you're not done with you, they will kick you to the curb um, and not give two, thought, two thoughts about you and tell you to go see the VA. So you have so you have a, so you have a generation of GI veterans for the most who are saying that, and then you have families of veterans who see that and are telling people not to join. So you have you have a lot of a lot of uh, currents coming together for why you're having a hard time recruiting. Of course, you're going to say, "Well, the economy is good." Well, the economy really isn't that great because when all the jobs are really looked at and examined, they're for you know bar, they're for service jobs. Um, um and they re every so every month they go back two or three months and revise the numbers down so the job is really it's not really the economy is doing so hot or so grand why you can't recruit people so it's not that um the biden administration just authorized half a million venezuelans tsp uh temporary protection status meaning that uh, they can't be deported and they can automatically apply for jobs um, and so, you know, these arguments that these people use to say why you're, there's issues recruiting are just, again, there's just, they're, they're lying, they're lying to themselves and, you know, and they, um, they're not, they are not going to, you know, uh, implicate this, you know, the very systems themselves. So, um, they just, uh, it's funny, <clears throat> the article came out on like task and purpose or, you know, one of those. And they said that uh, they're going to cut down on unnecessary vehicle maintenance. And I looked at that and I was like, you know what? What's 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 going to replace that quote unquote unnecessary vehicle replacement uh, uh, vehicle uh, maintenance is not going to make us more lethal. It is not going to be classes on you know, how to, you know, field strip your, your M4 or the, the new type, the, the new rifle coming out or, or a uh, new pistol or new types of, you know, um, or, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, and they do fight, uh, uh, um, like close quarter type of fighting or anything like that. It's, oh, it's going to be D you come at us. Yeah. You know, it's going to be DEI, you know, it's going to be sharp training and it's going to be as such. That is what's going to replace that type of training. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, or just moving and communicating, you know, which. Yeah, means... yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, they're, so, you know, uh, they've, uh, for, thankfully they've put in, um, land nav back into basic training or some sort of level of training and because people can't read a map, but, it, um, but yeah, that's not going to be. That, that's not what the train's going to be. It's going to be on something not of a, of a non-lethal function. Yeah, they're not. It's not going to be how to use a radio. It's not going to be how to talk. It's not going to be you know uh, like uh, for like natural disasters, how to operate without comms or any of that kind of stuff. So, no. Well, so I I think honestly, they the only way that they can get after that is mm -hmm. by protecting white space at lower echelons, and nobody sees like yeah. that. At, at, yeah, yeah. at every echelon yeah. up, yeah. they think it's more and more their responsibility to fill up everybody's fill up. White, space. white space. Yep. If, there, if, you, and, if you have white space on a calendar, then you are wrong. But but the kinds of things, like I'll give you an example. Like mm -hmm. this is this is notional. Okay. So like say notionally, there's some simple com comsec 
yeah. type stuff that needs to get done, like yeah. filling SKLs in order for ground units to talk to uh, helicopters, okay, to do training. And that they could do this training, it would be awesome. But yeah. nobody can kind of, nobody's got the bandwidth to to solve a little problem where, hey, like these fills aren't making a cross of these radios, yeah. so, you know, or the timing's off. And so, like these things that everybody knows how to do and they should be able to do, they just don't have the time to do. Mm-hmm. You can't come down from on high and be like, look, this particular issue is an issue across the army. So everybody's got to do it like this, the standard. Because those those standards already exist. There's just not enough time yeah. to do everything that we need to do. Yeah. So the only way to focus on the things that would be most valuable is having subject matter experts on the ground, say like a mm-hmm. helicopter pilot, being like, you know, it'd be really great as we can communicate with the ground units and training. We're not mm-hmm. able to do that. And then having the bandwidth to go solve that problem. But if that individual's white space completely filled up yeah. with, with stuff, yeah. it ain't ever going to happen. It's going to be one of those things that falls by the wayside, which is why I like to ad- adopt something that uh, one of my one of my colleagues said a long time ago. And the Army, we're really good at surviving and we're not good at thriving. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's the reason, right? Is yeah. we just we don't have enough time. And I agree with you 100. percent They're going to get rid of maybe weekly PMCS, which may honestly maybe is a little overkill to do weekly PMCS, yeah, um, or or some aspects of it will mm-hmm. cut down. But it's not going to get. They're not going to be like, okay, now we got some white space. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's protect it. Now they're just going to. Yeah, they're gonna yeah, yeah. Inevitably, yeah. fill with other stuff, and we know that this process is what happens. Do you ever you read uh, Garrison Wong's "Lying to Ourselves"? Oh uh, no, I have not. No. So you know that that was published at Army War College. Uh, a couple of, couple of researchers, I think one was a retired Fullbird, and they went and they analyzed. Hey, three fifty one training. How long does it take to do it? And they found that it takes more training time than yeah. is available training time mm-hmm. in a year. Just the three fifty one stuff. And so they yeah. they did the analysis and. It's like, okay, well, something's got to give. You're expecting people to pick what not to do. And it creates this culture that we're all too familiar with, with check the block, like, hey, what's important? Yep. What's not important? Pistol, yeah, yeah, pencil whip it, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. it gets people ethically numb to mm-hmm. pencil whipping shit. And as soon as you have that, and people are ethically numb to, to skipping over stuff, and they, they take on the authority to do that, it sets up a very dangerous situation where people aren't actively differentiating between what's right and wrong, what's ethical and unethical. Yeah, very, yeah, it's, yeah, very small, like small challenges to your your moral and ethical uh, framework. It kind of numbs you down, and you begin to just allow other things to slip. So yes, it's, it's a snowball, and and it, and it can achieve terminal velocity very quickly. Yeah, and you at, at that point you don't like you just you don't know, and I mm-hmm. I don't know I I don't know what your experience was with the COVID vaccine mandate, but that was kind of yeah. a big thing that got me, you know, trying to engage and and talk about these things more openly, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that that exact issue is what fed into that where it was, you know, that there was the whole issue with it being illegal and that it wasn't. Yeah 
it was only emergency use authorized. Like the FDA approved version wasn't ever made available. And you go and you point that out and people just kind of go, well, so what? You yeah. know, like it's, it's, you know, that's just, that's just legalese. That's just red tape. And it's yeah. like now, now come to find out the VA is not going to compensate your claim for vaccine injury because, oh, well, it was under emergency use authorization and yeah. you're not entitled to compensation uh, under that event. So it's like these things like that, turns out that the, like some of these things matter a lot. And if you're conditioned to thinking that none of it matters, then it leads people to doing things that uh, are morally indefensible. Yeah, COVID was definitely a, uh, like a, a mask off moment that, that kind of got me where I was, <clears throat> I, I, I just, I just kind of, uh, I stopped caring even more and just really, uh, really began to let my opinion be known about certain things. So, yeah. So on, on that note and kind of your transition, I yeah. wouldn't say it to being more, yeah. more cynical, but <laughs> and, man, I, but maybe that's the right word for it. I'll yeah, 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 yeah. word you want to use, but yeah. that transition from, um, and, and this goes back into the recruiting and retention thing. Cause yeah. I mean, we, we both came in under G well, you've been in 20. So you were right at the beginning. Yeah. I came in a little bit later. I decided to join up in uh, around 2007 timeframe. Yep. And, uh, you know, I had, I had people that were Iraq war veterans that were friends of mine that were like, yeah, the army sucks. But it's like, at the end of the day, it was kind of like, Hey, you can potentially make a difference in the, the yeah. mission yeah, yeah, yeah. is important. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like there were, there was an idea that, you know, even though the army had its, had its issues, and was had had challenges and wasn't necessarily going to treat you well there was an important mission that needed to get done um i'd be curious to to hear your thoughts on kind of including the the COVID era kind of that transition from you know feeling like everything kind of made sense and you had some sort of spiritual grounding in in terms of purpose and what you were doing into like the situation that Oh, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, that easily. I mean, and my turning point was uh, the 2011-2012 uh, time frame. Seeing the um, the air, the the mishandling mishandling of the Arab Spring into the Arab Winter, the uh, overthrow of Gaddafi, <clears throat> the attempted overthrow of um, uh, Assad and how national security and military power are used to well have national how, how military power is used obviously for national security reasons but then when shit goes sideways um no one is is held accountable um throw uh throw in my time in germany which you've read my my uh my pinned tweet in the, along with my other uh, discussions on Lieutenant Colonel W. It really, um, it, um, it, 2011, 2012, um, that was 2018, but 2011, 2012 was really that kind of point where I realized that the military is not what it says it is. Um, it is not the army of 1945. Hell, it's not even the army that my grandfather was in during, the, during Vietnam. Um, and so, um, I, um, we, uh, uh, 
I had just started a career at university, um, started to, you know, started, I started taking some philosophy classes while I was there. And one was on the philosophy of war and got me thinking, you know, more deep, just more and more, a little more and a little more deep. And just, you know, and just realizing that, you know, I've never, I never thought that to that point that I had participated in what is, what would is considered an illegal war until until then you know with iraq like i you know and then you know that's something what i kind of you know live with to, to this day is the concept of you know of, you know of of what i did right you know the, everything yellow cake all the lies you know everything all the bs that led up to the iraq war that um and so that kind of sometimes that weighs heavily on my mind but um um but yeah it's just <clears throat> the um and that, and that, and again, that kind of leads into recruiting challenges of people realizing, like, hey, the army will lie to, to go to war, and and um, look, you know, and look what's kind of going on currently. But uh, yeah, 2011, 2012, just how everything went down in that year was just really eye opening uh, to me. So, since it's been so long, and you've yeah. continued on for more than a decade after, <laughs> and what's what's kept you going? You know, like what, folks, what focusing on what things? Uh, I mean, a pure self-interest in the sense that, um, you know, uh, one is my mother who is just about like, you know, you started something, you completed it, that, that's an aspect. Um, the next is my grandfather. Um, you know, he passed away um, in 2014, but he, um, you know, you know, he made it through like he, he, he he joined at the end of World War II through Korea and saw how the army and saw what the army had become by the end, that by the end of his time in seventy four so and he saw the false like he he's like he 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 saw the false Saigon I saw the fall of Afghanistan and so like you know I drew a little bit of strength from that and you know and and a hundred like this is shameless you know I, you can say I, I'm a part of a war machine or whatever but um you know i get va benefits i get paid i get you know insurance and such and so yeah that's probably, i mean very cynical self-interest reason why i stayed uh knowing what i do know and but but a tiny sliver of hope was that i could not change the system but um give enough information to a young lieutenant in the, in the MI Corps so that they won't make, and even in this, in the smallest decision in, in, in a combat op, not uh, direct support to civilian authority operations, that they don't make a horrible decision because of you know, groupthink or political pressure or for whatever reason. It's just, that was also like my hope was just like to, to help the low and lower enlisted to to be just a little bit better as well. So that resonates with me a lot. The way that I would characterize that, and I, I try and do the same thing, is in in doing that. When you say make a horrible decision, to, to me, what what's the worst decision that you could make? Is doing something that's uh, unconstitutional, undermines the Constitution. Yeah, 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 and yeah. and. That it's it's simple as you know we took an oath, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and and I don't think you need to think. Some people that have other reasons, they got to think more into it than that. But I, I feel like as long as 
as long as I can fulfill and uphold my oath based on how I understand it, then Mm -hmm. it isn't completely cynical and self-interested to continue on because you you feel like you're fulfilling the function that you swore to fulfill. And really everything beyond that, uh, there's a lot of cultural bullshit on top of it where it's like, hey, this is what the army is about. This is what it's supposed to be about. And ultimately, it's like that ain't what the oath was. Yeah. You know? So and, like, there's going to be times where you're pressured to do things a certain way or, or see things a certain way, mm-hmm. but that's like, like the only the only shit that really matters, I think, is is that oath, and um, yes. you know. So I just just to give you my perspective. Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I don't think that that it's completely cynical and self interested because you know. The, like you said, you still have hope and that's like, you are fulfilling that function from your perspective. Yeah. Well, yeah, trust me. My hope is, 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 uh, quickly, uh, dissipating just like the dew off of the, the grass outside right now. So I can say that right now. Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> so I, I was actually branched detail to MI yeah. and pushed back my like, MI transition course yeah. as far as I could to, to extend while I was out in Hawaii in order to take prerequisites to switch over to physical therapy. Mm. And yeah. I actually, I got, I got waitlisted and I was like, ah, well, you know, for a minute I thought, oh, maybe, okay, I'll do a transition and I'll try and reapply. And then I thought about yeah. it and I was like, you know what? I can't do it, man. I can't yeah. do it. Like, I'm not going to go learn how to do an entirely new job that I I don't, I don't think I could fill my, fulfill my oath doing, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to, it's going to be in the back of my head all while I'm doing it. And it's going to make me just ineffective. I'm just not. Yeah. Gonna do oh that. yeah. 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 I got you. Yeah. And so I, I fully, I fully like, I put in my uh, paperwork to resign and uh, I ended up getting called back off. So pulled that back, mm-hmm. but like I did, I did drop that refrad um, oh, wow. on, under those, under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in 20 late 2014 huh. and wow. um, it actually like I, I got in and when I f- filed the paperwork to pull it back they just didn't action that paperwork so I got <laughs> PCS to to Fort Sam Houston and I was there and then I got a call from my branch manager it was like hey you're in Fort Sam Houston right because I, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. checking military email and he was like yeah you yeah. just came down on on separation paperwork and I was like I've recognized that name I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> so, like, I would have just stopped getting paid if he wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. I owe yeah. that. I owe that, yeah. dude. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. But I mean, like, for me, I, I like uh, the reason I say that about like you know evaporating to do outside is um, like a lot of like, a lot of things have happened post 2018 in my military career slash military and personal life that have. Uh, a lot of imp- a lot of things that impacted my military career post 2018 and it's uh it has been very disappointing the reaction um and the lack of caring of people both uh professionally and militarily um for, uh, because of those issues and that is why i very much eagerly await my medical board so yeah, and you said like living on thirteen acres and and getting yeah, set yeah, up for that. that. People yeah, I guess thirteen say, acres. Yeah, yeah. 
People say living the dream, right? And how you're doing yeah. living the dream. That, that mm-hmm. really does sound like living the dream. It That's is. It really not. It really is nice. Um, like it's going to be even better when my shoulder is even stronger. And actually, this morning, my uh, my wife and I were talking about um, like putting in like orchards of uh, like apple trees and such, and taking advantage of uh, like uh, natural placement of bees and um, tearing like not tearing down, but I guess kind of clearing this little area for goats and pigs that we have. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I want to, before, before we wrap up, I still want to, I want to yeah, talk, yeah. talk bullshit because I know if you, like, cause it's, this is something that I, I talk to people about mm-hmm. in, in one-on-one. They're like, oh, wow, that's, that is really concerning. Mm-hmm. And, but just the, deafening silence at higher echelons and the mm-hmm. and the fact that you have people that are willing to repeat this diversity mm-hmm. equity and inclusion stuff and it's like I, I get it you know i get it it's coming out of the white house mm-hmm. but it is so clearly a violation of federal law of the civil yeah. rights act yeah. uh, of equal opportunity policy that it just it just drives me crazy that people aren't willing to stand up and, and say in a briefing when they're like, Hey, it's racist to say all lives matter, but it's totally mm-hmm. fine to say black lives matter. And anybody pushes back on it. Like I, I got, you know, a, a colleague who's a, a captain who's, who's black and it was over MS teams. Right. And so like he mm-hmm. pushed back and they were like, well, yeah, because you're white, that, that whole thing where they assumed that he's white and like, Oh yeah, this is white privilege. And he's like, well, you know, also being a black, like, so we, we don't have a lot of people that are willing to stand up and push back on it. And I feel like it's just the easiest thing to push back on because we mm-hmm. have a policy that we can just point to yeah. that everybody should be well, familiar with. So the problem is, is that uh, one, <clears throat> uh, what I'm about to say is, is uh, rather cynical and, you know, it's not, my, it's not mine. I, I saw it somewhere on Twitter, but um, the U.S. Constitution is just a piece of paper behind a, an inch of glass in Washington, D.C. Like, it, that's it. That's all it is. Does, does, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so, um, and the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, 1965, um, in my opinion, or actually, I was, my opinion from someone else, um, is actually our parallel or second constitution, meaning that in, in the sense that's, it uh, supersedes the the constitution that was written you know, in seventeen in the seventeen hundreds, um, and no one really and because of that and because of how bought in people are into the system that the U.S. Army that has become a bureaucracy that is created to manage war, not to fight war. There's no there's no reason to rock the boat. You're not you're not going to advance your career in doing so and so that's what matters like yeah we can say oh that's illegal we can say oh like we can do all this kind of stuff but again you have to go through a process and the process is part of the punishment and so they and they know that and that's how the system is designed so and that's why um that's why people get out at majors or captains and all that because they get burned out that's why i you know i'm you know uh tuberville holding up all those generals um you know, made me giddy as a, as a schoolgirl because they 
good. Like they should have. Like I'm. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Marine General, and you had to have a longer day because you're doing the job of two people. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had your little your little wah fest um, to to the Marine Times about that, um, and you know, and various other things. Like, and but you know, people don't realize that th those three hundred generals were the proteges of the individuals who screwed up Afghanistan, who then ha were the proteges going further, even, you know, going further and further back. So, um, it, it, again, it's the, the, the army has, a, has become a, a self-replicating bureaucracy meant to manage war, not to win war. Um, and a reason why a lot of the, the upper echelons have gone along with this is because of the, um, the design of 20, the, the design of the army of 2030 and the concept of the army of 2040. Have you, have you heard of these yet? Yes. And I, why electric tactical vehicles? Like, are you mm -hmm. kidding me? Like, well, why is well, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah. So the, so yeah. So in general, and they are looking to electrify vehicles, um, especially in the army of 2030, 2040 as well. Um, and, uh, and various other things. So I, I had to do a, I had to do a bunch of research into into both of them. But um, the big push in the Army of 2040 is autonomy, right? The ability for uh, vehicles to work uh, autonomously um, without the interference or actions of others, and which is kind of funny because then it's supposed to be manned by individuals who. Have to go through remedial math. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but so with this uh, highly autonomous army, you don't need a large army. You don't need hundreds of thousands of people when you can have, say, a dozen or so manning thousands upon thousands UASs, thousands upon thousands of under undersea vehicles um, using technology that's um, uh, already existing, um, uh, thousands upon thousands land uh, you, uh, land vehicles, autonomous land vehicles, <clears throat> and with that comes the um, the rather scary notion that you don't. What happens if those twelve people are extremely highly partisan and they don't like certain people and they're willing to push the button like before you had to have a squad or brigade or a platoon of a mix of people who would not necessarily squeeze the trigger because a buddy beside them might not squeeze the trigger but now in 2040 when you have all this power in the hands of individuals who have no qualms about squeezing that trigger what do you do then yeah, that's that's very troubling. I mean, I, I think that they're overestimating the extent to which that structure would rely on just oh. as many people in order to enable. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like that, the, the, yeah, you know, the ability to like the ability to like maintain and you know all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, it would take just as many yeah, people. It's, trust me, less, the, the, yeah. <laughs> what they're trying to build in twenty forty is not going to happen. I, I I'm not. I'm not yeah, but just the fact that, of just the just, fact that they just want the concept, to like the concept. Yeah, yes, the fact yes. that they want mm -hmm. to yes is suggestive of yes. 
you know well i mean given given everything else that they do and the rhetoric Mm -hmm. um like with the extremism stand down training Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah you know which was uh i found it to be incredibly offensive Mm -hmm. and then they they had to go in and clarify what they meant with a dodi that actually went in you read the dodi and you're like okay this is all this is all fine you know but that wasn't what we were meant to infer when that training came out we were meant to infer that you know you're (laughs) extremists if you had certain political uh, views that yeah. you know I, I i i felt like i was meant to infer that i was ex- an extremist because of i can honestly, i can honestly say that like i don't think i've done any i have not done any type of training such as that um post the uh the training one uh be uh i all i've done is like sign my name and, and, and literally walked out that's all i've ever done <laughs> yeah yeah but even even being forced to sign your name on it yeah 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 yeah. You know, oh yeah yeah you know it's, it's demoralizing and i think that yeah, that's yeah. honestly it it's and again, that, it's again that's again that's it's, it's, the, the, it's the purpose of it it's 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 the army is changing you know again it's funny you know the the they're trying to recreate i mean they're talking about con- like having to conscript people because of fighting war against russia and china simultaneously while at the same time, Middle East blowing up and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, people people want to think that you can just rubber stamp the army of World War II when it was a um, result, when it was the result of cultural, socioeconomical factors that will never be uh, replicated ever again in the United States. Yeah, we don't have the industrial uh, yeah. base. You know, yeah. you can't well, just retool well, it, something to make tanks if you yeah, don't have but the factories that are making the cars correct it's uh and, all, and again you don't have the demographics like you don't have any of that none of that's the same you know you i mean literally you have palestinians and and and, and jews fighting each other in philadelphia like you're not going to have unit cohesion you know you know what i'm saying like in in that kind of stuff like you're just not yeah especially know? when they've lost the narrative thread on yeah on the kinds of things that could create cohesion. I mean, so like we, the kind we, like, of, you know, Americanism, like yeah. the classic kind of Americanism, like the only way that that works is the whole colorblind thing. And they say that, you know, DEIA yeah. commissars are there to tell you that that's, uh, that's racist, that, that yeah. trying to take a colorblind approach isn't appropriate. But and the, that's the only thing that works in the context of the military. Like yeah. I don't know one of one of the stories that stuck with me most, um, just kind of like as a data point, was I had a couple uh, black NCOs that had just finished being drill sergeants mm-hmm. that I worked with, and they they just one day were uh, started bullshitting about uh, their time being drills, and emphasized how it was a regular thing that uh these black soldiers that like when they're coming in as privates as trainees they would expect favorable treatment from the black yeah, drills. Yeah, 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 yeah. and they they would they talked pretty candidly about how they shut that down and how how it wasn't that hard it wasn't that yeah. hard but they had to do it you know they yeah, had to say yeah, hey yeah. look we're like we, you can't have any of that shit where you got mm-hmm. favorable treatment because it just doesn't work with unit cohesion. It's like you, yeah. you know, we're you can't have somebody on your back that you don't feel like is, 
you're equal, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, that whole uh, DIA, like they, they say it's equality, but it's not like you can't have, you can't have a focus on diversity without discrimination. Functionally it's discrimination. I mean, I mean, so it all, okay. So it all boils down to the fact that the civil rights act was passed as a means for, uh, uh, as a means to address obvious uh, needs for advancements for blacks in the United States. It was not meant for the advancements for Latinos, Indians, Chinese, other ethnic groups. It just wasn't. That's just, that was not the point of the Civil Rights Act. It was to address um, the, mis- the, 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 the mistreatment of blacks in the United States pre-1965. Uh, that is the fact. Since then, it has been used for all these other various, has been a vessel for all these other issues. And that's the problem. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to that being a, a, a yeah. free market guy. I don't think that telling private businesses that they can't discriminate, yeah. that's not, that doesn't align with natural rights in my view. Yeah. So no, it's, like, just, it's your yeah, property. Yeah, yeah. If, it's, yeah. if it's your stuff, yeah. like the idea that the federal government can come down and say, Hey, you're not allowed to treat people a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it sounds nice. It sounds like this, yeah. like, Hey, it's, it's really good to treat everybody equally. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I personality wise, I have like a liberal disposition, like a classically mm-hmm. liberal disposition. So the idea of somebody treating somebody poorly just because of the color of their skin, like it rubs me the wrong way, naturally. Yeah. but it's going to happen because mm-hmm. there's in-group preference and it's a, it's yeah. a, unending and ever-present feature of human psychology and all that the civil rights act really does functionally i think is systematically allow people to game those feelings in one particular direction because if somebody's being treated poorly for being a a christian or being male or uh, being white like none of those things are taken seriously unless they are very, very over the top and egregious. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's not like it's never happened that such things have been considered. Yeah. But you know, it it's only really gamed heavily in one direction. Mm-hmm. And like all the major lawsuits that are tens of millions of dollars, like all of them are are for particular people and not others. And it's not equal in that sense. And I don't think functionally it's designed to promote actual equality under the law um, and because it, it just can't be applied that way. That said, yeah. I think there is a rationale to it in the context of federal employment. Like the rules that are outlined mm-hmm. in it, I think, apply when you're spending taxpayer dollars. So like if taxpayer dollars are going to something since that comes from everybody, yeah, I, I think it's reasonable <clears throat> policy in the context of the military as it is being based on on the CRA, I think it makes sense. Um, but uh, extending it to private businesses, you know, like I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, it's become our second constitution. Yeah, it's yeah. become our second constitution. So yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so you mentioned 2030, 2040, yeah. like 
and, and how we're probably not going to be able to execute, you know, their, <laughs> their idea yeah. for, for 2040, right? Yeah. What do you, what do you think the next five to ten years are going to look like as you transition? Out? I mean, I don't know. You're you're going to see more management style of war. Uh, you're going to, uh, I mean, I to I mean, but late. Okay, so just in the last few days, Lake City Ammunition has stopped all private sales. Same with Winchester and uh, Horn Days. Um, manufacturing facility blew up. That's all interesting. Um, I'm not seeing any type of, I'm seeing contracts being signed by large uh, defense contractors. However, I am not seeing the subsequent expansion of manufacturing manufacturing capability. Um, So unless I miss something or unless they start spitting out things here and like make you know, start growing in the next six months um we're gonna run we're, we're just we're just gonna run out of stuff i mean we're, we're there's just there there's there's only so much in the cupboard and there's only so much that we can there's only so many places that we can support and tough decisions are gonna be have to be made and certain locations are gonna be have to be prior prioritized over the over the other um and um, you know, that, that is going to make some people very upset. That's going to get a lot of people killed, which is, you know, very sad, it's very saddened to me, but ultimately we're going to have to put our national interests ahead of our set you know, ahead because we're not in this, we're not in the space to, uh, we're, we're, we're not the arsenal of democracy as we were in 1945, we're, we're just not. Um, and we're nowhere near it. We're not putting any true effort into it. <clears throat> Hell, the in, the Intel chip processing plant they put in Arizona, in order for them to be finished, they have to be reshipped to Taiwan and then shipped back to the States. Um, so that tells you right there. So I, uh, I, I foresee more a management style of role. I don't foresee the United States getting directly involved um, in anywhere because people don't want to see uh, people, they don't want to see soldiers coming home in body bags, the GY is still fresh in their minds, you know, unless, you know, something really horrific just happens uh, somewhere via China or, or in the Middle East or wherever. Um, but I, I don't, I see more of a management style as in proxy war or providing materials, munitions to a point and then uh, making those triage decisions of, hey, you're going to get the ammunition, you're going to get the the material, and you're not. And and I'm sorry, that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, you know, I. Uh, mm-hmm. So, what do you think about the idea? So, I I kind of have an explanation for that, mm-hmm. and why, like you said, it seems like people aren't taking it seriously, um, like the. The situation we're going to run into, for example, with one five five rounds very soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I I feel like all these people that get into the highest echelons mm-hmm. at that point, they're all kind of short timing. Too long. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there, there's they, no Billy. There's no Billy not, Mitchell. There's no. There's no like grand figure who's like like driving a a new doctrinal change or anything like that. Like that's going to revolutionize you know warfare. No, there's not. And and they're all. They're all going to outlive the problem. 
pretty yep. easily. Like so, like none of this stuff's yeah. gonna run out Maybe. before <laughs> they're <laughs> retired on their, yeah. you know, yeah. on when, their when, property. When they're retired, they own a leadership. They have a, a leadership uh, institute, or they're on the board of some defensive contract, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, and then it's like they're on the board of a defensive contractor, mm-hmm. and like what's what's more what's more bullish for that defense contractor than, Oh, we're all out of one, five, five yeah. rounds. And right, yeah. like, it's, it's a big emergency. Yeah. Now we'll, yeah. we'll pay huge, ridiculous mm-hmm. premiums in order to get this. The contract, going. the contract they sent the, like, I can't remember the company that they signed for like Avenger rounds was just astronomical Patriot rounds, the same thing, astronomical, like to replace all these munitions that have been uh, sent to Ukraine astronomical and i'm like okay but like where are you going to build them and what facility where like your facility can handle x you say it can go to y but you have to build z so like i'm sorry you have to be you have to build z amounts so where's the facility to build z amounts yeah and then you know you have the people that are going to be really the ones responsible in terms of contracting officer representatives and KOs at that senior level, especially, yeah. especially the cores, if they're not yeah. themselves looking at a defense contracting yeah. job, their bosses are. Yeah. And so like, these are the people that are, are required to hold those folks accountable if they're unable mm-hmm. to deliver. Right. Yeah. So it's like, if they say they're going to be able to deliver a certain quantity of material by X time, and they don't. Yeah, it's it's up to that core to say, hey, you're not meeting specs, and then not not pay out on the contract, and mm-hmm. that creates a lot of problems. That's difficult yeah. to deal with. Yep. A lot easier just to say, oh, okay, yeah, they're they're working on it, and you know, just write up some lame ass justification. And I, I I see that actually being most likely where this goes. Yeah. Um, and and. My, my experience as a core is limited, but like I could totally imagine that very easily happening where mm-hmm. they're just not, not delivering and still getting yeah. paid. If not. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I think, um, <clears throat> I think the Navy has, uh, the Navy is, uh, at, the Navy is shooting itself in the foot and there are those who, um, you know, who want to glorify the greatness of our Navy. And, you know, our Navy is the smallest it's ever been. It has the least super carriers that it's ever, I like guess, had since, I don't know, like the 90s or whatever. Um, and, you know, like the, the Navy still has not addressed or come up with a solution to what is the tyranny of distance of the Pacific. You know, it, it dogged, it dogged them in World War II it was a huge issue and there has been like we're reducing our capacity to move stuff through the pacific and they're just like eh if the chinese try to invade taiwan we'll destroy them i'm like how like with what and how are you going to resupply yeah you, you, you just don't get it like you don't get it you have to like you have to secure those bases for refueling for rearming uh, you know, for you know, uh, air cover, various reasons why you have to secure island hopping. That's why it was a hugely uh, um, 
successful campaign during World War II. Like you're going to have to replicate that in a certain way. And you have only X amount of aircraft carriers. And I hate to tell you this, if one sinks, that's like 2,200 dead sailors. Like is America ready for that? Yeah, that would be insane. And yeah, that, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't they, think and, that they do and, have and, answers. And, people, and they, and they, yeah, and they're like, oh, it's a carrier support group or whatever, a strike group, and there's there's layers of the defense and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, what if? What if like, there's not a there's not a there's not an infinite amount of and you know, missile of uh missiles or um um uh, uh Vulcan uh, um uh Vulcan guns or anything like that you know munitions like that shit will run out like what happens then what happens when that two or three uh strikes hit and guess what that is that the 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 forge starts to roll over or whatever starts to roll like what happens then you know yeah I think I I think I just think I think they're just I think they're very full of themselves I think they have a certain air of like um you know we own the oceans and we own the skies and you know, like for the most part, for the most part, the Navy and the Air Force have not, and the Army haven't operated in truly contest, truly, truly contested airspace or water space in very long, and they're um, resting on the laurels of when they did. Yeah, I think you know our FA fifty seven folks. A lot of them see these issues and think it's very depressing for them. I mean. And when, when uh, you know, there's so much talk about creating a no-fly zone over over Ukraine, and they're like, "Oh, we sweep the skies of Russia, of the Russian, uh, um, uh, Russian what you know, fighters and stuff like that." And I'm like, "Really? Are you sure about that?" And if you even if you did, like having to maintain that, like, and you know, and the national and then people's nonchalant response was like, "Oh, it would just take a few, you know, it would just be a few casualties or airframes or what I'm like, you mean people's lives. Like you're talking about people's lives, you, you know, Americans. It, so you're talking about, if you take just a couple of dead Americans and you would get what you want, right? That, that's what you're saying, right? Um, that's a, so, towards, towards what ends, you know, but that to them, that's like a foregone conclusion that yeah, so Europe, it, you Europe, know, that Russia wants to take over Europe and, you know. Yeah, so again, yeah, either Russia is the most, you know, Russia is the most powerful uh, army in the world, or it's uh, a backwards nation that can't, you know, invade Ukraine. Can't be both, right? Yeah, it's yeah. It does seem kind of yeah. ridiculous, but to, yeah. to simultaneously argue that it it would be trivially easy to force a no-fly zone. Yeah. While also yeah. that it it would be you know next to impossible yeah. for us to prevent Russia from taking yeah. all of Europe, and that's. What's inevitably going to happen if we don't do it? And then you have what, several um, aircraft carriers of different nations, plus uh, a, a MU heading in the. I'm sorry, in the Eastern Med. So you, so you, that you have that whole situation. So again, it goes back to the point: the United States is going to have to start triaging because we're running out of stuff. And so, where do they do it? Yeah. So. Well, since these are all intractable problems that are very depressing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yes. So on that, well, I mean, note, but again, you, like, I'm, like as an MI officer, and, and and even after I retire, I will still think like this. It's I, I'm not trying. I do not think about the problem, the problem that we have now. I try to think of those friction points or those friction points in the future where decisions are going to be made or 
um, uh, new TTPs are going to be created and tested um, so that they can be used against us. That that's I'm I'm trying to think two to three steps ahead. And so my my I guess the last question I got yeah. for you as we transition out yeah. and wrap up is what's what's next for you? You know, if you you it sounds like you're not going to be able to stop thinking about this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So what how what are you going to do going forward? Is this going to become more of a hobby thinking about the stuff, well, analyzing the stuff, talking about it? So um, it, it's twofold. Um, so, uh, one is I, I am currently job hunting, um, you know, um, you know, it, it'd be cool if I, I you know, share my, my resume with you, but I, I, I gotta stay anonymous. Uh, so I am, I'm actually job hunting. Uh, I'm looking for a role in, uh, like a, Intel, like a, a company that has an established Intel sector, uh, or security sector, you know, to protect them from uh, insider threats, threat mitigation. Um, also companies I'm targeting are those that provide threat, threat platforms, um, that track threats real time, such as Everbridge and such. But I am also, um, with the support of my wife and backing and every, you know, nudge every so often, um, I am, um, uh, I am kind of venturing out and creating alternate uh, streams of income so that I can have a good outlet for this. So like um, doing a sub stack, doing more in-depth information or uh, more in-depth type of uh, analysis in on Twitter and, uh, you know, and various other types of various other types of things I can do that, um, allows me to exercise my brain and make money while doing so. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Please get on Substack. That would be yes, wonderful. I, yeah. I, so I do, I, I already do have a Substack account. It's already, I just have to, I just, I have to write my, uh, my first, uh, my first uh, article. And really it's about, um, you know, being uh, secure in my analysis, if that makes sense. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I, I uh, you know, when I put out there, you know, I don't care if people don't, you know, don't believe me, believe me or whatever, you know, I just want it to be analytically sound. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. As soon as you yeah, got thanks. it up, let me know. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I'll, yeah, well, it's, um, I'll probably write the, the, the goal, it. the goal is, I told my wife that, um, this Sunday, uh, is to have something ready to be published on Monday. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It would be yeah, good to have a, it's I, a good I, it's I, a great it's a great community to be a yeah, part I have, of. I have outline upon outlines, topics upon topics ready to go. I just have to flesh them out and write them. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, Peter Wrangle, yeah, thank yeah. you very much for, for taking welcome. the time to chat with me. Of course, and, always. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to seeing what you do going forward and interacting with you on Substack. And then Thanks, hope yeah. everything goes smooth with uh medical evaluation board and and transition and that you're able to to line up some sort of job where you're able to apply yes. your, yeah. your skill set here yeah i appreciate um, it i really do all right so all right, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up and okay. uh, yeah appreciate your time you're welcome